1: luxury quality within reach go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com slash style hi this is Marion Bartoli.
2: i'm Mats Villander. this is mary carillo i'm sandra winka i'm lighten hewitt i'm andy murray
1: hi this is dana prosser from merlin oregon and you're listening to
2: the tennis podcast <laughs>
0: Dana, thank you. One of our Kickstarter backers at the intro level at the start of this year when things seemed as though they were going to be fantastic for 2020. And now look what's happening. Uh, well, anyway, what we are doing is bringing you the tennis podcast every single week. We are going to continue at the Grand Slams, even if there aren't Grand Slams. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. We've got our Mary Carrillo QA part two coming your way today. We've had so many lovely messages from you all. Thank you. F- very much for all of them, including from Brona, who works in a hospital in Dublin in Ireland. How about this? So lovely to hear from somebody who's helping us to to keep going at the moment. And she brought a tear to our eye with some very kind words about the podcast and and what it's meaning to her. So thank you very much, Brona. Catherine, Matt, how are you doing?
3: David, Okay, Excellent. I mean, you'd be surprised to hear the same. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah same
0: right <laughs> okay it's ju- just me use jolly been you know um so I'll, I'll i'll carry the can for that um we i did
3: uh i did 20 full minutes of exercise today uh and that's such a break from what's been the norm <laughs> since lockdown that i'm feeling very very pleased with myself which is pitiful absolutely pitiful but uh but there you go i'm in sportswear Makes a change from
1: loungewear. Very cool sportswear.
3: Yes, I'm wearing my US Open 2017 Pharrell jacket, um, which is one of the cooler things that I own. And I think it's one of the all-time best ever tennis kit ranges who or uh, with, the, with the with the exception of the Alexander Zverev knee high socks right. which uh, I think he wore for his first round night match and then uh, reneged on the commitment <laughs> uh, after that because he he wisely realised he looked an idiot I assume uh, but every every other item in that range was g- great I think iconic Right. So I've just described myself as iconic <laughs> as I sit here.
0: Matt, Matt is wearing his <laughs> uh, ad- looking anything. But. Matt's wearing his tennis podcast hoodie. Um, and Matt, maybe you can tell me who or what is Pharrell. Pharrell
1: sings "Happy," right? He's he's an American singer, rapper, and he got involved. A Jesus songwriter, Yeah, he got yeah. involved oh. with de- with designing that that line in yeah right. 2017. Okay, it was very colourful.
0: Okay, but but I think I'm a bit before... It was
3: the best thing about that
0: US Open, wasn't it? It was a weird US Open. I'm thinking I'm probably before that time. Um, uh, Hence why I'm so excited about our new uh, launch today, which is uh, to tell you all about what's going to be happening in the months and weeks and... (laughs) Maybe years to come, um, because <laughs> don't, David. Don't. Because in the absence of actual live tennis to talk about, as well as our uh, Q and A part two with Mary Carillo, which is coming up now, and in a couple of weeks we've got our own listener questions, which we recorded pre coronavirus virus uh, outbreak. Now, goodness knows what that sounds like now. <laughs> It'd be quite interesting to have a listen back. That's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs>
3: The first yeah. question is, <laughs> <There> is
1: <laughs> where
3: an we, might which, which tennis the first question is which uh tennis tournament would you most advise a fan to to visit <laughs> and David without skipping a bit go, beat goes Rome oh go to rome guys yeah. not current advice Well, i still love it at
0: all. i still love it it's just that don't do it in 2020 um the the fact is though we're we're looking back in order to look forward because over the next few months we are going to be launching tennis relived here on the tennis podcast it'll all start next week on miami finals weekend that should have been and in keeping with that, we're going to go back to 1999 and 1999 and the first ever final between Serena and Venus Williams. We're also going to watch Andy Murray against David Ferrer from Miami in 2013, which was an absolute classic. So we're going to watch Serena against Venus at eight o'clock UK time on Saturday, three o'clock uh, on the east coast of the United States. And we're going to go and watch Andy Murray against David Ferrer on Sunday. Who's got to answer the phone?
3: That's my doorbell, oh. which makes no sense at all. Who on earth would be visiting? Yeah. I'll just go and go and see. Let, let, let's on.
2: listen
0: out. I'm fascinated.
3: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I mean, who could it? Who could it possibly
1: be? Someone you should be ushering away. I think.
0: Yeah, somebody you should be keeping your oak door closed to
1: i hope it's somewhere with a
3: big pile of jigsaws
0: <laughs> <laughs> catherine has been going
3: jigsaw crazy
0: this week she's completed 1.999 jigsaws over the past week oh, um, don't one of on them that. a, a 1000 piece jigsaw complete and a 1000 piece jigsaw 999 pieces complete and the other ones lost under the bed somewhere
3: I will never sleep soundly until I know what happened to that piece of lampshade.
0: Is is the um is the 999 piece part of the jigsaw still in its entirety and just sitting there? No, no, no.
3: I've done I'm I've done a full jigsaw and started on a third one since then. Yeah,
0: but what did you do with the one that was 999 pieces complete? Did you chuck I it up in? I took a
3: the photo air? of it for you. Right. Um, sat and felt smug for about a minute and then put it in the box and got out a new one. Okay,
0: fine. right. Um,
1: Someone on Twitter very kindly offered to send you the missing piece because they had just completed the same jigsaw.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie, I did hover over that offer before realising that, you know, self-respect is one of the Mm. few things we've all got (laughs) at the moment. So I don't want to relinquish mine. (laughs) too soon into lockdown i'll save it for like june okay
0: so in our self-respect we're going to be in our pajamas watching serena (laughs) against venus at eight o'clock on saturday uk time if you'd like to watch with us we're going to be sharing the uh, the links around uh, on our social media channels and and in fact if you have a look down your show notes, we'll stick them in there as well, so you know what we're going to be watching and in our newsletter this week. Um, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, UK time, Serena against Venus, and then Andy Murray against David Ferrer at 4 o'clock on Sunday. Then we'll talk about them on the Tennis Podcast. Matt has already been researching these uh, these matches and these players, and and I'm going to be trying to find the dregs of my memory to, to come up with whatever anecdotes I can, and we will relive them as part of Tennis Relives. We're going to be going daily during the French Open, show. The- should have been uh and if we have a real french open in 2020 as well we'll bring you daily episodes from that as well live (laughs) ones
1: 30 french open daily podcasts in one year yeah
0: awesome let's do it (laughs) so
1: (laughs) i thought that if the french open were going to happen in september you would say oh well let's let's not do tennis relived in may june and let's just save it all up for september but but no, no,
3: <laughs> no. Dave wants to do tennis lived and relived. Yeah. Can't wait. We can only dream of tennis lived. Yeah. Yes,
1: no. It's it's great. I'm excited about tennis relived. I need to do research because I wasn't alive for most of these matches that we're <laughs> going to be talking about.
0: <laughs> Extraordinary. It's going to be awesome. It, it, I, I can, uh, in, in the spirit of it, Matt. I can maybe show you some of the films I was watching when I was 15 as well. Um, and uh, there's some absolute belters. Such as? Oh, Jean-Claude Van Damme films, you know. Do you know who he is, Matt? Loosely. <laughs> he does beer adverts now. <laughs> okay. He does beer adverts. Lots of enthusiasm. Um, so that's all to come. <laughs> We're going to have the Monte Carlo final weekend. We'll have Fed Cup relived. We'll have Madrid, Rome. We're going to have everything before uh, before we get into the, the daily editions at the French Open. Who knows, we may end up having Wimbledon relived as well because uh, news coming to us reportedly from Simon Briggs over the weekend that Wimbledon are expected to cancel their events this week. Uh, they're going to have they announced uh, last week that they were going to have an emergency board meeting at some point this week which is reported in simon's piece as being on wednesday Um, and the all england club did say in their statement that they were not going to hold the event behind closed doors they also pointed out the difficulties in postponing the tournament because of the nature of grass court tennis and obviously the they need a certain amount of light and There are so many logistical challenges in order to postpone. So whether that is a possibility, we don't know yet. But it sounded as though that that would be a heck of an ask. Um, It it may turn out that they they've find a way to to try to buy themselves a bit more time and, and see if they can still hold the event. But uh, but that's what Simon's reporting is that, that the expectation is that uh, they will cancel. So if they do, then we'll be bringing you even more Tennis Relived uh, here on the Tennis Podcast. And we've got loads of ideas to try to keep things interesting. We'll bring you as many interviews as we can as well. Um, but uh, yeah, what we will do is later in the week, if that ends up happening, we will bring you another show so that we can properly look at what that means for the tennis world because um there's so much to talk about we'd like to talk to some of the people within the game as well and simon hopefully in order to just get a real sense of of where we are now because uh we already know we've got no tennis until the start of june as things stand so huge story um already this the coronavirus globally obviously in the rest of the world but uh, having a, a significant effect uh, uh in tennis as well So, shall we have a listen to our second part with Mary Carrillo?
3: Should, I, don't, I don't want to be a big downer before that but should we just quickly mention that the olympics has been cancelled officially
0: oh yeah the olympics yeah I forgot about the olympics uh Catherine, well done um yes the olympics are cancelled sorry Catherine. i know that was uh, that's something that you has been keeping you up, awake at night um and uh yeah i mean that is the big story isn't it since we were last with you um no huge surprise but um but still jarring isn't it when you actually hear it's happened
3: yeah, well, I mean, weirdly, it hasn't been keeping me awake at night really because it, it's funny. Well, it's funny how quickly you adapt to a new normal. We were saying it about you know how shocking the cancellation of Indian Wells felt at the time, and how soon that felt like it was sort of always inevitable. Um, and it, the Olympic cancellation has felt inevitable for for a long time, and uh, I was kind of pretty numb to the news when it actually broke which is just a marker of of where at you know if you'd told me at the start of the year that the olympics wasn't going to happen i would have descended so deep into a pit of despair you probably wouldn't have (laughs) been able to to pull me out of it for some time i'd have i'd have felt sick i'd have sobbed i'd have who knows um but you know when the news finally hit last week I've, i kind of felt pretty numb about it really and my overriding feeling right now because as we record on monday this morning we got the news that they have set dates for the olympics in the summer of 2021 pretty much the the the, the parallel dates just just 12, 12 months on from when they they were supposed to be i feel really invigorated by that it feels like the first daffodil of spring somehow Um, just something concrete, even if it's 18 months away, which it is. um, I think even the most pessimistic experts touch wood are, are pretty confident that we'll be, we'll be through this and, and, and back to hopefully something like normality by then. So it feels like it's sure enough that it's worth looking forward to even if it's far away, and things to look forward to at the moment are uh, are few and far between because everything is on such shaky, uncertain ground. so actually, I mean somehow i'm I'm I mean grasping at positives is uh, and silver linings is kind of the theme of our times, isn't it? but I'm feeling a lot of silver linings about the Olympic situation at the moment,
1: yeah, I think it was the I think Jonathan Liu wrote a piece about a month ago where he said you know the notion of the Olympics being postponed is like abolishing france I think was the was the expression he used and and yet it didn't feel big, did it because it's just been so inevitable for for the last few weeks um and I think for tennis it's it's good that it's found the same slot in the calendar next uh, next year there was some debate over whether they might have a spring olympics which would obviously clash with a lot of tennis events but if they've if they've slotted it in in the same bit of the calendar then that's that's good for tennis and it feels a bit like everything that goes up has to come down you know we're very much up the hill at the moment but we're going to be sort of sliding down it hopefully this time next year with just a series of amazing sporting events hopefully one after the other um and as you pointed out on twitter david the fact that the olympics is scheduled now to finish on roger federer's 40th birthday 8th of august
3: and when it does happen in 18 months time it is going to be the most wonderful joyous jubilant thing Um, You know, things are always better if you feel like you've really earned them. Um, What deferred gratification is, is what distinguishes us from from beasts, isn't it? Um, And (laughs) we're all deferring gratification big time. And the pay <laughs> at the moment, and the payoff. I mean, hopefully, it comes sooner than the Olympics in 2021. But the payoff when it comes is going to taste so so sweet. And I keep closing my eyes and and thinking about that. And Dominic Team has got another chance to rethink his uh, <laughs> his stance on the Olympics. There you go,
0: Nicholas Masu. Get, yeah get in there
3: 18 months to persuade him. persuade
0: him right okay well we're the tennis podcast and we're going to be talking to mary carilla in a second just a quick word for our mascot butler though um i had a quick look at a photo of butler the other day that cheered me up catherine i mean you know what if you ever need cheering up have a look at butler
3: yeah dogs are the ones profiting from lockdown aren't they
0: let's talk to mary carilla shall we For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrowcom slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrowcom slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life, and of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. And our first question is from Badger Boy on Twitter. Badger Boy says, I'm showing my age a bit here. We were referencing this in, in part one of the uh, the interview here with Mary. He um, says, showing my age a bit here, but I believe Mary was friends with Vetus Gerolitis. Quite right, go. Badger Boy. Mm-hmm. Vetus's antics were the stuff of legend. I'd be interested to hear if Mary has any good anecdotes.
2: Oh, uh, uh, maybe my favorite one. Vitas did not get along with Wojtek Fibak. Do, do you guys remember? Are you too remember young? The you remember the name. I
0: remember the name.
2: Polish player, very good player, and he ended up taking Ivan Lendl under his oh, under yeah. his charge. Remember that and and taught Ivan an awful lot about art. Uh, and he was a very good player, very solid player. Nothing too flashy about Wojtek Fibak, but he was a good player. Anyway, Vitas didn't like him, and he didn't like Vitas either. And they, I guess they ended up playing each other quite a bit. And there was a, <laughs> I was watching a match they were playing and Vitas had really gotten under Feebach's skin. And I think Feebach was beating Vetus, which wasn't going well for, for my guy either. And at one point, Vitas, <laughs> at one point, Vitas yelled over to him, why don't you go back to picking potatoes? And he said, you don't pick potatoes, you dig for them. It was like the most ridiculous encore fight I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually ridiculous. But Vitas was very good friends with, I mean that, that was the joy of Vitas, um, as this man obviously knows. He was friends with people who couldn't stand each other. He got along great with Jimmy Connors, who, and he got along great with John McEnroe. And John and Jimmy didn't want to be in the same restaurant. He got along great with Bjorn Borg, who wasn't terribly outgoing. I mean, he got Velas he there was something you just felt when you were with Vitas, You were in the best room anywhere in the world, uh, and but he was sharp. He was—I mean, everyone knows the famous when he finally beat Jimmy Connors uh, after 16 straight losses. You know, nobody loses. No, v, nobody beats Vetus Garlighter 17 times in a row. I mean, that he was very quick, and but he did get into some ridiculous fights with uh, with fellow players. Uh, Vetus was again—he was great to. Again, I was in his slipstream because of his sister, Ruta. So, I got to see him. We went to a we went to a, a nice restaurant in London a, a couple of days before Wimbledon, and it was Bjorn Borg and Vitas and McEnroe and Ruta and me and like a couple of other people. And as we were walking into the restaurant, and here's Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe, but it was Vitas that everyone noticed. I mean, that just happened all the time. And some guy at some big table next to, you know, we were passing them by and some guys, hey, Vetus, good luck at Wimby, my man. You know, one of these. And Vetus, hey, thanks, God, you know, thanks. And he kept walking and he said to the guy who was taking us to our table, the guy, the restaurant guy, he said, um, I'm, I'm going to pick up their check too. Just because one guy, it was like a drive by, <laughs> good luck, Vetus. <laughs> that's how generous he was. I mean, that's what he was like. Um there's a lot of nice features. That's stories. cool. Yeah, That's no no, cool. he was he was very very special. Well, cool.
0: R- Rishi Khanna would like to ask about your own career. Because Rishi <laughs> this says, "This is going
2: to be a quick question, a quick Rishi answer." Rishi
0: says, "No, no, he says you're a Grand Slam champion for crying out loud." Those are <laughs> those are Rishi's own words. I'd love for her to share her thoughts on that seventy-seven Roland Garros mixed doubles title. And separately, I'd like to ask about her memories of a young John McEnroe and their friendship. What was what has McEnroe meant to?
2: Yeah, so we grew up in the same. We grew up three blocks away from each other in a beautiful little town. Uh, in Douglas in Queens a place called Douglas Manor. My parents still live there um, on the water, right on little neck Bay, long Island sound. The Douglas and club is where we played. Uh, and John, again, he followed the season. It's not like he was crazy about tennis. He was great at everything. I mean, we would go down to Memorial field to play ice hockey. He was great at that. He was great at basketball. He ran track for his high school. Cause they needed somebody. I mean, he was that guy. Um, so we had – it was the first time uh, – John was going to the French Open for the first time, so was I. But he was an 18-year-old skipping skipping his high school graduation because the USTA, in their great generosity for their junior players, gave him a stipend for $500 to play junior French Open and junior Wimbledon. And he was on his own for the rest of the – he had to figure out a way to make 500 bucks last for – the European swing. So we signed up to play because we, I mean, we'd been playing together since we were nine and 11. I'm the older one. We signed up and it was a time 77 was a year of uh world team tennis, So a lot of the best players weren't playing. So we got into the mixed doubles draw. And as I'll never forget, we were signing up for the mixed draw and John looked at the other teams who'd already signed up and he said, Oh man, I mean, we can win this thing. We, were like, we can win this thing. <laughs> the first major either one <laughs> of us ever oh we We win this did name, you
3: say but I, like, but john i'm three years like, past my hundred hey. <laughs> percent <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's that's exactly what i should have said i'm not my hundred <laughs> percent have you seen you have seen you've you've lived your entire life watching my forehand you th- really think we're gonna win this thing so anyway we kind of picked our way through the draw john won juniors that year as well junior french open and uh I was choking so badly for the final um, and we were playing on, you know, Chartier Stadium. It was huge. And John, at a certain point, I, I couldn't serve. And John just said, look, just kick the ball in the court and I'll do the rest. <laughs> just bend it in any way you can. I'm not kidding. Those are our, now that's on court coaching. <laughs> that, my friends, is what, I've, is what I'm there for. And that's what I did. I swear to God, I just bent it. It barely whispered. It barely hit my strings. That's how bad it was. So, we, And then, of course, so now we win. And uh, Wimbledon's in a few weeks. And John, of course, we signed up for Mix at Wimbledon. You know, we're on a roll. But there were a lot more good players at Wimbledon. So we got to the quarters of uh, the mixed doubles at Wimbledon. That's when John famously made his way through the qualifiers and got all the way to the semis. So John played Jimmy Connors uh, in the first semifinal at Wimbledon 1977, and he just then Jimmy beat him. John was not abs- was not happy with the way he played, but even more problematic is we had to go play court two. We had to play Martina Navratilova in the quarters of the mixed. Martina was playing with Dennis Ralston, an American, while Vitas Gerulaitis almost beat Bjorn Borg in five amazing sets which we didn't get to see, but we could hear it from Court 2. We could hear the score. So we were both – John was upset with how he played the singles. I'm trying to listen for Vetus' score from Court 2, the old Court 2. Anyway, we lost 10-8 in the third in the quarters of Wimbledon to Martina and Dennis Ralston. So that was kind of – that's kind of how that went. Then we lost right away at the U.S. Open. We had been (laughs) arguing that summer. And that was the end of our mixed doubles career. Do you um
3: do you have footage of the seventy seven French Open title? No,
2: I've got some photos. I'd be happy to share with you. I'm sure you're you're tired of seeing baby photos of my granddaughter at this point. <laughs> so never. when? So
3: have you have you ever? <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Have you ever rewatched it? No, never.
2: No, I don't. I'm not sure it exists anywhere. Honestly, I'm not sure my my forehand stuck to any piece of tape <laughs> back in the late seventies. You're both
1: uh, lefties, right?
2: yeah so yeah, just John so I can, a, if
1: there's no footage just so I can picture it who was who was on what side and how did that play out I
2: John or John
1: just covered the, everything John
2: played the ad side and took everything <laughs> okay and <Yeah>. that, was, <laughs> that was the play I would basically <laughs> serve and jump sideways <laughs> into the stands <laughs> it's a manoeuvre you don't often see <laughs> but it, it worked profoundly well for us yeah <laughs> i'll cover this tram line (laughs) really i had so little to do with that win it was just great it was great
3: where does it like rank in your sort of lifetime memories and and achievements like uh, post post -tennis tennis included like is it is it a sort of pleasant footnote or is it number one or is it somewhere in between
2: it's, it's, it's highly pleasant. I mean, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, as, as I like to say, Catherine, it was John McEnroe's first major title and tragically it was my last, <laughs> but you know, let's not quibble.
0: <laughs> One more no, way it of good. Us ago.
2: No, it was good. It was, it was a nice, it was, I don't honestly, I didn't play long and I didn't play that well. I knew there were, I was riding on rims. My knees were terrible in high school. So I knew there was very little time I could play professional tennis. That's why I skipped college tennis because that's all on hard courts and I knew I'd I'd blow out my knees before I ever got a chance to as I said, as I told you earlier, like play at Wimbledon. So I I mean it was a but I did I did love it. I mean I miss it now. I miss it this year. Uh it's uh it's, there, there is a uh, the late great Robert B. Parker. I don't know if you you know him much in uh, in England, but he's a uh, fun. He's a terri- he was a mis- a terrific mystery writer. He a cop, kind of a a cops and robber. He he made he, he's a good writer, a best selling author in this country. He died a couple of years ago, but he once he loved baseball. He was a Boston uh, Red Sox fan. He loved baseball, and and every season, you know, he said it's. Baseball is the most important thing that doesn't matter. And I I guess I always felt that way about tennis. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, I guess it doesn't matter, but for me, it's the most important thing that doesn't matter.
0: That's perfect. Um Catherine needs a bathroom break, everybody.
3: Ah. (laughs) Oh, thanks for outing me, David. I'll be really quick. Uh, (laughs) Well,
0: I'm just giving you a giving you an opportunity. Shall I carry on? I I'm just going to carry oh, on. She,
2: now we get she, to talk about her.
0: Yeah, she she can come back cuz the next <laughs> Am I keeping question, my device rolling? Am I still recording? Yeah, keep keep rolling. Keep rolling. All right,
2: keep going. Um, the uh
0: the next question is from Paul Warren on Twitter okay. who okay. says, "I would love to hear about the difficult decision to retire because of injury and to take the step into broadcasting and how that happened."
2: Look, I broadcasting it it wasn't difficult for me. I, I um, the last tournament I played was 1980 Wimbledon, first round, uh, lost to Pam T. Garden, uh, an American uh, veteran. Uh, very quickly, I was afraid to move. It was, and they made us play through rain, so I knew that was my last. That was going to be my last match. I was, I, my knees were terrible anyway. Um, and then I, but I had done quite a bit of teaching out of high school for the late grade Harry Hopman. Um, and I figured, all right, well, and I had skipped college. Um, so I figured I'll I'll probably go back to school and I'll, I'll do some more teaching and figure out what I was going to do. And then, I mean, it's not like there was a lot of tennis on television back then. It's certainly not a lot of women's tennis. Uh, and until pretty recently, women, at least in this country, didn't get to call men's tennis. So there wasn't a lot of women's tennis. A producer who had heard me once, uh, just do an interview basically that turned into calling a match a couple of weeks after Wimbledon he said would you be interested in calling some women's tennis for USA Network and I was madly available (laughs) (laughs) I was on my way to more knee surgery I said yeah sure so that's how it started for me there was no there was no pain involved in that decision I was glad to get the work and but I I didn't consider it a, a, a new job I mean it wasn't I did a couple of tennis tournaments that year, and then a few more, and then uh, eventually I started calling men's tennis, which made things a lot better um, for me. And then I started doing other sports and working for other networks, and it turned into something. But I certainly didn't go in. I love it, and you. I'm sure you you two have interviewed players who say, and then when I'm done with this, I'll you know, I'll just get into TV. And I'm thinking, honey, you haven't said an interesting thing in 12 years. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> just walk into a booth and continue not to say anything. Like I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's interesting, it isn't it?
0: Because um, I we we've done a, another listener Q and A that we're going to have uh, have it, probably next week in which I, I talk a bit about. Radio and TV broadcasting—the difference between the two, etc. But I just sort of wonder, given that you've made that step into the into the commentary box from from playing, were there were the people that you sought out to try to get guidance on on what works and what doesn't?
2: Um, you know, Bud Collins. I got to work with Bud, the late great Bud Collins, at an early age, and he was he was. I've he, he, learned a lot. Not that I sought him out and asked him a lot of advice, but if you sit next to that guy after a while, he's going to rub off on you. I love that he he took the sport very seriously. He didn't take himself so seriously. He had a very playful attitude. He liked he liked using words and and you know putting them together and creating. If when Bud Collins would walk into a, a you know the media room at a tennis tournament in in my country anyway you felt like the tournament was a lot bigger all of a sudden. So I think I learned a lot from Bud. And then I, I went from color commentary to play-by-play. You, you, you start learning uh, how to interview people, uh, how to be quiet and, and be silent enough so that your interviewee feels the need to fill that space. And, you know, I, th- I think over the years you you end up learning a lot. And then the people you sit next to, obviously affect how you call a match and how you, you know, tennis is a game of pauses. It's a, it's got, and you have to be respectful of that and you have to know when to come in and when to let something just play. And if you've got a terrific director cutting cameras, it's often that in the biggest moments, you don't have to say a thing. You, You just, you just meet the moment by being quiet. Um,
0: so yeah, you know, you
2: learn a lot of things and then you'd want to develop your own voice anyway. Um, and your own jargon, your own your own way of of looking at matches. Um, but I've also I've gotten to sit next to really good people over the years. You know, I love working. I love sitting next to Lindsay Davenport. I think she's very very good. I love sitting next to Jim Courier. Um, the three of us work together at Tennis Channel. Um, and they, you know, they just they they see things differently. Often I'll be they'll be watching they'll be watching the better player play his match. I'll be watching the one who's losing, I guess because I <laughs> I'll be like, like, so you're watching like two, in a way you're kind of watching two different matches, you know. I'll be talking about somebody who's, you know, just keeps missing their return, too predictable service pattern or whatever, and they're talking about the other guy. And I think that's always very interesting to it. It's fun stuff. Fun stuff.
0: Yeah. Never gets old. Uh Estental says, from playing days to commentary days now, what do you see as having been the biggest changes in tennis and on the tour?
2: Uh, probably string technology, more than anything. Uh, rackets, racket technology. I mean, that's just changed everything to me. I'm, I'm is not that why sure there's if... no
0: serve and volley anymore?
2: I, yeah, I think. I think a lot of it is... Okay, uh, I was a serve and volley lefty. I mean, I had a very – I didn't lose matches because I didn't know what to do. I just didn't do – I didn't execute it well. <laughs> but I knew I was going to miss the late, great Harry Hopman, who coached Vetus and John McEnroe and Peter Fleming, a bunch of us. He would say, in 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 a tight match, would you rather be volleying or, or trying to pass somebody? I mean, for me, there was not even a question with that. I mean, so it's a very simple serve volley. you kick it into somebody's backhand, get tight to the net, hit your first volley. It's all over now. I mean, so, so many people have great return games. They've got, they've got these powerful rackets and really good strings and open stance forehand and backhand returns. And their backhands are bigger than their forehands. A lot of them on the women's side, you can't aim into someone's backhand and come in. You'll, you'll, They'll ventilate your chest if you've got a shirt like mine. So I, I think that's a big reason why people don't serve in volley anymore. <laughs> I, I do think the two-handed back uh, did a lot to make – volleys go away do you agree For,
3: forgive a, a quick moment of indulgence i'm going to ask the question which i expect my dad is shouting at whatever audio device he's listening on right now um okay. uh, which when you you said string technology any any development in particular with string technology or just the general ev- evolution thereof
2: guga guga kirtan strings catherine uh your dad's your father's name is matthew right is that, is that's matthew? my brother
3: uh, my dad's oh, that's your my brother. dad's
2: david David, yes. terrible name. No, that's a good name. That's biblical. They're both biblical. Not everyone Um, connected
1: with the tennis podcast has the same name. Actually, maybe they do.
3: (laughs) I only associate with with males called Matthew and David. Those are my (laughs)
0: rules.
2: (laughs) Wow, I didn't realize that. Um, No, to David's point, I I think uh, when Guga, when he started using those strings and winning French Opens with him, I mean it's so lively hang what, what, what were they? The strings it's the kind of strings that hung onto the ball and allowed you to really cover it, impart so much spin. And, and then did I mean Google had these really long take backs and elaborate follow throughs and the ball just bounced like crazy. There was a time when Andre Agassi thought it should have been outlawed, those strings. And 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 now it's usually a blend that players use, but did, did suddenly it's still everybody
3: start playing with Guga's strings?
2: No, but a lot of people use a ver- some iteration of them now. It just changed. Then Babolat rackets, the lively stuff that Rafa Nadal uses. I mean, uh, I genuinely feel that uh, the power of rackets and the liveliness of strings, if, 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 play- if so many of these players today used wooden rackets, their form would be so much better because it would have to be you see Serena and so many other players who can hit remarkable shots from 10 feet behind the baseline, falling off their, you know, falling backwards and it's still a winner, you know, so this crazy violent stroke that you would never be able to do if you were using gut strings and wooden rackets with small heads. So I think that in my, in my tennis lifetime, that's changed more than anything. And I also do think two handed backhand's, just that that changed things too, and I think also that the way people play tennis now helps to explain that why people have hip injuries now uh, have off wrist the other wrist injuries, you know the ball's coming out and they're trying to hug the court they're they're hitting with wide open stances, so they're putting stress on muscle systems that did, that didn't happen when i when I played didn't.
0: Mm. I'd so, so be- love. I'd love to watch some tennis today with a wooden racket, with everybody using them. You know, just make a tournament where they've all got to use a wooden racket.
2: Who would win? And and who who would hold up? I mean, are you thinking Roger right away?
0: He would adapt well, wouldn't yeah. he? And and but uh, yeah. I th- I think Nadal would r- adapt remarkably well because he's shown his ability to adapt all the way through his career, even though he hasn't got a natural... Yeah, but then his grips. Think through.
2: about his grips. Uh, yeah. Ash Barty's Would, would, he, would he have rackets. to change? Ash Barty, would have to surely,
0: change? Uh, in
3: the women's.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it could be done. It would be fun. I watched Pete Sampras play with a wooden racket, and it was like... And I also saw Mar, uh, Martina Navratilova and I, years ago, we did a feature on wooden rackets, because Martina won a lot of them, a lot of her her big titles with wood. I was great, God damn it. Anyway, um, I've still got it, bitch. Anyway, um, so we took, we took Taylor Townsend. Uh, sorry. Martina, get off the line. I'm trying to concentrate here. God damn it. Um, uh, anyway, uh, we took Taylor Townsend, Catherine, on a grass, the grass courts of Wimbledon. We took her to Orangi and gave her a wooden racket, and she was great. It was like nothing, man. She, everything, because she's got a slice backhand anyway. She's got beautiful dollies. She doesn't have complicated grips. She doesn't have to do major grip changes that so many players would have to do. It made, wooden rackets made total sense to Taylor Townsend.
3: I'm, I'm here for any uh, tennis rule change or evolution which which makes Taylor Townsend more of a thing.
2: Mm. <laughs> oh, she's lovely, isn't she? Yeah. Her match against Halleck oh. was unbelievable at the US Open.
3: I argued it that it was my match of the year at our end of season yeah. awards
1: show.
2: Was That's a not a bad call. I was just,
1: yeah. I was just thinking about the, I, I played a tournament at uni with wooden rackets. And this is so pathetic. I, I had to stop after like half an hour because the grip was so bad. It was giving me a terrible blister. <laughs>
2: <laughs> was it the old leather grip? <laughs> yeah, I just it was ah. just
0: ruining my hand.
2: Yes. Why couldn't I'm you interested.
0: have used that when you played me? I mean, <laughs>
3: <Okay>. <laughs> could, could you just quickly before we move on? Could you f- f- just finish your sentence, which started? I saw Pete Sampras play with a wooden racket, and it was dot oh, dot was, dot.
2: Oh, he was beautiful. Oh, wow. I, I mean he he played he played beautiful. I mean, and again, Pete's one of those guys who grew up idolizing Rod Laver and you know Roy Emerson and Ken Rosewall and and i think he probably i think i've seen pictures of him as a little boy when he still had a two handed backhand i think he started with wood so that would make sense and and he had spectacular grips i i he, i loved his game i thought uh, every now and then i have to remind people how great Pete was when he when he won his final major and and did that mic drop and i mean that guy was a joy to watch uh, and i love watching agassi and i like them against each other but Pete was my kind of guy. He was he was my kind of guy. I thought he was great, and now we don't even we barely mention him when we talk about all time greats. David does. Mm. Oh,
0: he David was my does. he was my hero when I yeah. was uh, before I got before I started working in tennis. Sort of the crossover of in the mid nineties, he was he was the he man was for me. Yeah, oh yeah. No, I loved him. He was great. Did, did you
3: ask for a Sampras haircut? What was a Sampras haircut?
0: I don't think my, I'm not really a hairy type, you know. I don't think I could really pull off the um, the swarthy look. Can,
2: can, I, can I tell you, David, one of, one of my all-time favorite matches involved Pete Sampras, and it's one that has been lost in the mists of time. But Pam Shriver was working for ESPN, and she interviewed Nick Moloteri, my guy, before Tommy Haas was going to play Pete. And Tommy had was at the U.S. Open. And Tommy had been playing really well. Tommy, when he, he got up to two in the world, man, could he had a beautiful game. Uh, big serve and big off the ground. And Nick had basically told Pam that this was Tommy's time. You know, it was Tommy time at the U.S. Open. And he was going to beat Pete. And then Pete started clobbering him. And just, you know, by the second set, he was throwing Tommy down a flight of stairs, you know, and just playing great U.S. Open Pete Sanford's tennis. So Pam went to interview, re interview Nick. And said, Nick, what's what's happening, you know? What what's wrong? Yeah. And good old Nick said Pammy, dear, the problem is that Tommy has lost his prospectus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had it. He'd walked on the court with his prospectus. But uh tragically he lost it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick. Anyway, I think Pete ended up winning the US Open that year,
3: but with with but prospectus. He, to to his
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: he kept his. Prospectus. Is that what we've all been missing all this time?
0: Ah, oh, the old prospectus. <laughs> and I'd the nose them. of the elephant. Let's,
2: There's a whole bunch
3: yeah. of things. Let's all use yeah. this m- mandatory hiatus to find our prospectus.
0: <laughs> good, good. Good luck with this one, Sa- Sa- Sammy on Instagram. Wants right. to know, what's the worst match you've ever commentated on?
2: Oh, I, I'll tell you what, Isner Rounich springs to mind. <laughs> <laughs> why is that? <laughs> oh, why do you think? I, it was the same friggin' point over and over again. And I, I'll tell you what, it got to the point, I was calling, I'll never forget this. It was a couple of years ago, a hard court match, roundage Isner, all right? and I'm, they're both lovely fellows, I'm sure you know this is, takes nothing away from I'm sure they have both have sparkling personalities off the court, but it was the same damn point over and over again, and I was calling it with Lindsey Davenport on one side of me and Paul Anacone on the other, and we were all trying to take the match seriously, but I mean there was no rally. so it was just rallyless and artless and. And Paul Anicon, who's usually a very straight-up kind of meat and potatoes guy, you know, at a certain point, I'm trying to insinuate that maybe there are more tactics involved, more subtlety than we're what we're seeing. So, I, and Lindsay's still you know, like giving me this, and every now and then she's, you know, she'll give you the finger during a match if you say something like, like ask her a question. She's, they're both awesome, but and I, so I tried to say something like, well, maybe. You know, the serving pattern. Of, and, and Paul said, Nope, no, there's no, there, none of that. <laughs> he like cut me off. Like, here I am trying to like breathe a little bit of life. I'm putting the paddles to this mm-hmm. match, you know? And Paul said, No, no. And <laughs> anyway, as you know, there's a cough back button, you know, when you don't want to go over the air and let people hear you either cursing or laughing or whatever. We rode the cough back button, all three of us, for about 10 minutes. <laughs> there was utter silence until someone finally won the tiebreak, and I said, we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> so, To answer your, your, your listener's question, that was it. Dave,
3: BBC Radio uh, <laughs> trolled David at Wimbledon by assigning him to any match involving two players over six foot five. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah exactly. so david is covered uh <laughs> apelka was it last year david
0: yeah that's it yeah that's, so you would got six foot five raunich i think six foot seven me and seven foot riley apelka that yeah. my dear fellows was the gag that was the joke
3: yeah they did it just for a single use gag on uh yeah. primetime bbc yeah. radio
0: thank that's you actually, bosses it,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that stuff's hard. But honestly, we were quiet for like over 10 minutes, <laughs> just laughing. Just, it was
3: what were you saying about the, good le- letting the tennis breathe during exactly. commentary? Yeah. Just, yeah.
2: That's sometimes you've just got to let a match like that wash over <laughs> you, don't you?
0: Uh, we have one more question here, yes. Mary, uh, from Cam Grabsky on Instagram, who says, What's more likely to happen, Mary? Federer to break Connor's record for the most titles or Serena to break court's record for the most slams
3: Oof.
2: Uh, uh, I, well here's the thing I think Federer can he can play a bunch of small tournaments if he wants if he, if that becomes his goal he can play like the two fifties the smaller ones he'll get paid a fortune to show up and he can win titles like that and so I, I'm I as you you three know because i've made a, a fool of myself in the last couple of years picking serena to win every major final she's been in and i've been dead wrong all all every time uh again i worry that serena this uh, of all the the problems that the global pandemic is causing i think for serena um she carries the weight of her own history a lot heavier i think than than Roger does his. I think Roger's, he's not as fraught, it seems to me, with the idea of breaking anything at this point. He just wants to, you know, he just wants to keep playing, and I think he enjoys it more. Um, I think he understands when he walks out on a court that everyone there is trying to lift him up, whereas when you watch Serena sometimes walk onto these big stages, you feel the weight of everybody watching her. Like, she walks like that, blood and bleed. If that's a word, I, I think, I think it, uh, again, I, you can pad your record if you're Federer and you want to do something like that. I can't imagine, and who knows what what's important to those people, but uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Serena have a a couple of more looks. But I think I think Roger again can play some small ones and and get there if he wants to.
3: Do, can you really see Federer doing that, Mary? Because it would be so. As you say, the, the weight of history, he, he certainly gives the impression, Federer, that the weight of history doesn't sit upon him uh, in quite the yes. burdensome way it does perhaps uh, with others. But if, if he suddenly turned up at Winston-Salem and uh, Newport, oh, Rhode Island, we'd... It would be a tell. Right. It would be a tell, right? It would be a total. Tell.
2: <laughs> it would be a total. I've never played it. Before. Yeah. <laughs> I just I wanted to just see it. what it was like. But, you know. I just wanted to. But, I mean, I'm talking about, uh, yeah, I, I don't see him entering uh, maybe the North American tournaments. But he can play Basel and, you know, a couple more times if he wanted to. He could play. Uh, some grass court tournaments he 's never played oh you know i, I usually play here Hala, but maybe now i 'll play eastbourne. I mean, I can see him i again i don 't know what means the most to these people at this point i 'm sure he 's heard me, that, would...
3: that Nottingham in June is really lovely
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. if I mean.
0: <laughs> if, Pete Sam, if 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 Roger Federer turns up at eastbourne wasn 't wasn
3: 't there one year that Serena played eastbourne yeah
2: yeah. Yeah, that, and, and and again, it look, it, players are going to play, it, you talk about tells, I mean, you look at the tournaments that Venus Williams plays in now, she's going to, what, she turns 40 this year, she plays at tournaments where you know she's getting huge guarantees, you know, uh, whether it's in the East or in China, you know, um, you, and that's fine, I mean, that makes that makes sense if that's what she wants to do, and that's, you know, they want her to show up, You know, that's all good. But a lot of times, you can tell by, like... And that's the interesting thing for me, if the French Open is serious about playing this year after the U.S. Open. Serena has been shutting down her season after the U.S. Open for years. Uh, And basically, Rafa Nadal does the same thing, right? I mean, pretty much. Um, You know, the guy, dude's got to rest after his U.S. Open uh, effort. So... uh, like, I don't know what I, I genuinely I know I'm maybe I'm supposed to be some kind of insider. I have no idea how much tennis is professional tennis is going to be played this year.
0: Yeah. None. No, none of us do. Um, what, one other thing I just wanted to ask you, um, Mary, you, you mentioned uh, in the first part of this show, just just in passing, having been at uh, the funeral of uh, Jeannie Everett, um, the sister of Chrissy Everett. And I just wondered if you. Could give our listeners a little bit of insight as to the person that she was uh, and memories of her because we, we heard her name obviously w- when she passed away. We heard the details of of, of the fact that she played. You know, we, I, I didn't know an awful lot about her, but, yeah, but I'd be, I'd be curious great. to know.
2: Jeannie was terrific. Um, again, she's uh, I just turned 63. Jeannie would have been 63 in October, a couple of years younger than her famous sister. Um, and I had been to when Chrissy lost her dad a couple of years ago, I was at that. I went to that funeral as well. And, um, Chrissy, you know, she's one of my favorite people. I love Chrissy. I love Martina. I'm I'm lucky enough to have really gotten to know them well. And I knew Jimmy Everett. That guy loved his tennis, watched a lot of it. And when Chrissy went to the podium, uh, not a podium in a church. Whenever she went to give her eulogy, her her uh and I'm thinking, how is she gonna pull this off? And she did with great grace and sweetness. And she did the same thing just earlier this year with Jeannie. Jeannie had been battling terrible cancer for a couple of years. She was a terrific junior player. When she was fifteen she beat Margaret Court. Um she didn't have the same focus as Chrissy. She was very short. She was only about 5'1. So, you know, you could kind of she can get overpowered, but boy oh boy, she was terrific. And um there was this uh, famous quote uh where Jimmy Everett was trying to convince his younger daughter that she could be great too, she could be a champion. And Jeannie famously said back to Jimmy Evert, but I want to be happy. I mean, that meant more to her. And Imagine being Chris Everett's kid's sister. I mean, that can't be an easy thing to follow. But Chrissy gave a beautiful speech. Uh, the church was packed for Jeannie's uh, funeral. Uh, Martina had been skiing in Aspen, and she came. Uh, Pam Shriver took the red eye from Los Angeles. Um, uh, there, there were quite a few uh, of us oldies. You know, Elise Bergen, who I who I know has done some international commentary as well. Chrissy talked about how terrific her sister was and, and how loving and loved she was and what a great sister, mother, daughter she was. And then she told this story about how well, in an effort to explain how well Jeannie took being Chrissy's kid sister, like she always, you know, was gracious about, about it. And Chrissy tells a story about one time she and Martina played a doubles match against Jeannie Everett and the Russian. Soviet at the time, Olga Morozova. And Jeannie and Olga won that match. And Chrissy, who's highly competitive, as we all have seen over and over again, was that way with her sister too. And Chrissy tells the story. She said, I didn't talk to Jeannie for three days. And we were sharing a room. And this, every one of us just rocked with laughter that in the midst of this really sorry day, that Chrissy would, would tell a story like that and make us all smile. Um, yeah, Chrissy's been through a lot in, in the last couple of years. She's lost people she's truly loved. And, um, and I have to say, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, we get together, all of us. Uh, Billie Jean King, uh, obviously, is a big part of all. The reason we get together a couple of times, all of the oldies and, and enjoy each other's company. And I just cannot imagine that happening easily anymore you know, I, I just, we, we mean a lot to each other. Um, we've all, we've gone to each other's weddings and funerals and, uh, happy times and sad times. And I'm very glad to be, I'm honored to be a part of that community. I'm honored. And, um, yeah, Jeannie Evert was, was somebody very special.
0: Mm. Nice so it, it just shows when you, when you talk in that way that, there is more to it than just the bit on the court, and I, I think of I think of sort of Martina and Chris Evert when I was when I was a kid. They were the the ultimate rivalry in in tennis. They they were the Bork and McEnroe, but it felt more so because it felt to me, at least from afar, as though there was needle between the two that they didn't get on when they were when they were absolutely at the top of the game, and and I, I'm. I, I find it quite moving that they seem now so yes. close.
2: Oh, it's lovely! It's lovely. I mean, considering that uh, they basically made each other cry like every other weekend, <laughs> you know, at some in some locker room somewhere in the world because they played each other so much, and so and as much as look, if I'm not going to get into a big argument. With anybody who says Serena's the greatest player of on the women's side of all time, okay, that's fine, you know, let's have a beer and talk it out, but boy oh boy, Chrissy Martinez supported the tour so long and for so well, and they treated every tournament like it was special. They weren't just looking to get a warm up before a major um people counted on them to show up, and they did you never you never saw you never saw either one of them lose early, have a bad day, you know. Uh, that just didn't happen back then. They, I think they understood how important they were to the tour. And they also knew how much the tour meant to them. I think even, I think sometimes their respective camps pitted them against each other when there was real no true animus between them. Chrissy got much better publicity for the entirety of their, you know, people said, Martina, she looks mannish, you know, she looks like, you know, she plays like a guy, all that kind of Martino had to put up with a lot of stuff that Chrissy never had to face, and Chrissy had a lot more. I remember there's Chrissy had a Lipton Iced tea uh sponsorship and this and she had all kinds of stuff off the court. And Martina had like a Thorlow sock deal. She had a sock deal. She was buying her own clothes, you know, or at, at, or at they were giving them to her for free, but they weren't paying her, you know. Uh they're both as I said, I'm very, very. I, we're, we've all been in touch. We, we text each other ridiculous stuff back and forth. Martina is always on Twitter, you know, dumping on Trump and the rest of the rest of our uh, of of his administration daily, hourly, <laughs> whatever. Um, but we all keep in touch. Uh, Pammy as well. Like we're all on the. It's it's a very nice it's a very nice thing. Um, I, I, I played my tennis at a great time at a at late seventies in the U.S. I mean, tennis was huge then, you know, cause it had, it had Connors and McEnroe and Chrissy and Billy Jean and Arthur Ashe. It had great American players. And then it had all these cool foreigners like Borg and Nastasi and, you know, Navratilova who became an American, like, it was a great, great time. I, I hit a real sweet spot. I, I was lucky. A very, very. I, I I understand how fortunate I was, yeah. and continue to be. By the way, I happen to very much like talking to you, through.
0: Well, I was going to say you, uh, <laughs> too. you, you, you had a nice uh, a nice period of of your your era there, and the people that you got to know. But I mean, we can't quite believe our luck, really uh that, that we're that we're here we've just used up an hour and 42 minutes of your day um, and uh, over two shows <laughs> and i mean no i mean i i could sit here asking you questions all day long uh thank you so much for your time i mean it's it's well, uh, just so we'll much do this fun at a
2: tennis tournament somewhere down the road <laughs> that yeah. would be nice what a concept
0: it would be wonderful yeah so i think you better go and you can't actually walk your dogs, can you? You're not allowed to walk dogs. I have anymore. to
2: release them.
3: From you have the to other release. Them. Are you forbidden from dog yes. walking, Mary, in Florida?
2: No, no, but you're supposed to do it alone, alone and, yeah. You know. Right. Yeah, it's serious stuff. we got to be careful. Yeah. Look after yeah, these those are... dogs,
3: Mary. I, will. I mean, don't these put, don't put masks on them like uh,
0: <laughs> What's <laughs> a Face like in Flat 124. <laughs> <laughs> Who is, who is oh. you bang the ceiling now? Can hear you. Uh. That, that
3: person, by the way, the the, yes. the woman, the, the the neighbor that put the mask on her dog, is now a very active member of a community WhatsApp group uh, that I'm it's, a part of. She's really? she's actually uh, doing a, a a guided meditation tomorrow night on on FaceTime for for residents of my building. Uh, and I, I mean i won't be able to look her in the eye so i i uh, <laughs> i'll have to i'll just have to sit it out yeah
0: yeah if we're looking uh-huh. for more souls of positivity at the moment Catherine had never apart from sort of a, a sort of brief hello to people that she she lives near had never had a conversation with any of them now <laughs> she's suggesting to them oh, jigsaw ideas i
3: suggested really? i suggested a jigsaw exchange on the uh community Jesus. what they went nuts for it mary honestly <laughs> it was like i had just uh invented well Jigsaws. a jigsaw exchange
2: <laughs> Yeah. Now that you were social distancing before it was even a thing.
0: Catherine is a rule—just social distancing, really. That
2: has been
3: said on our Whitaker WhatsApp groups. This is when we come into our own, folks.
0: <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. So, all right. thank you well, all for I, your time. I love time. catching up with you. Likewise, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank pleasure. you all for listening to us, and I know. There are a lot of you out there. Everybody's, everybody's finding this difficult, and some of you, particularly in different parts of the world, will, will be having a terrible time at the moment in so many different ways. We've had so many messages telling us that, and, and I, we're thinking of you. Um, we hope you're enjoying the show that we're bringing to you, we're, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep on plowing along and trying to come up with some good ideas and some, some shows that can entertain you. They won't be as good as this one because, I mean, <laughs> this one we had Mary Carrillo on. The
2: eye uh, of the tiger. <laughs> finish, finish that thought. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. The news. Do you, do
0: you have any parting thought from Arancha Sanchez-Vicario at all, Mary? Oh, or? I mean, what
2: can I say? What can I... I I am so exciting, I am too exciting for talking. <laughs> <laughs> and as Zoranta as said, after she played a great Wimbledon final against Steffi Groff and lost it in three, she's, I mean, she was so philosophical. She knew just what to do with the, the weight of that loss. She came in and said, what can you say? What can you do? Sometimes you win and sometimes you lost. <laughs> and how true is that? <laughs> She never lost her prospectus. And <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, dear listeners, am
0: going leave away now. you here on the tennis podcast for another week. Um, I don't even know if I've got the energy for any shout-outs. Are we got any shout-outs, Matt, or are we, are we waiting for next He's week? He's lost we got his prospectus. Um, I haven't got any shout-outs. <laughs> okay. Well, we shout out to
1: Mary Carillo.
0: We are so we just want Mary impressions, so no shout-outs this week, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and we've had the full gamut uh and uh, listen we will be back again next week for sure we'll bring you whatever we can sooner if um, the
3: fft uh make an announcement in the interim
0: yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> um and we, 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 we'll, oh we can't wait for for more tennis podcasts and uh thanks for listening we'll see you next week